This is Innovating a Bright Future. All right, we are back. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another bonus episode. This week is an interesting one because it's somewhat of a point of contention and confusion and just kind of chaos. As always, I'm your host, Avery Crywalt, with Innovating a Bright Future. This is the show where I walk you through the innovative and revolutionary technology driving climate action and laying the foundation for a sustainable future. This week's topic is electrification. What is it? Why does it matter? And is it a good idea? Spoiler alert, it's not all that complicated and pretty self-explanatory. It matters for long-term climate goals. And yes, it is a very good idea. A very necessary idea. I found for the bonus episodes this season, I seem to be responding quite a lot to common questions that I hear from people about climate and certain aspects of the science and theory, and I think that's a good place to start for an episode, so let's get going. As we've already discussed, as someone who is actively promoting renewable energy and all things sustainability all the time, I get questions. With the incredibly fast rise of electric vehicles in recent years, and with Tesla claiming the title of most frequently bought new vehicles, everyone has questions. In places where we know the majority of energy comes from non-renewable sources like coal and natural gas, like Alberta, it really doesn't seem to make sense that the use of electric vehicles is a climate solution. I can't count the number of times that someone has asked why electric vehicles are so important if the electricity that they run on comes from fossil fuels anyways. At the same time, one of the most recent climate buzzwords going around has been electrification. Electrify this. Electrify that. Do you have a pet? Electrify it. Clothes? Electrify them. Are you and your partner not getting along? Electrify it. It seems to be the answer to all of our problems. But what does it actually mean? Electrification means taking things that have traditionally been run on fossil fuels and replacing them with electrical mechanisms that can plug into an outlet instead of feeding on fossil fuels. If you were to take a look around your house, things like fossil gas furnaces and water heaters gotta go, along with a petroleum-powered car in your driveway. For the most part, those are the big three home appliances that need to be electrified, but that's just on the home level. On the societal level, electrification would include entire public transit systems, buses, trains, trams, subways, it would also include vehicles of all kinds, fleet vehicles as well as industrial vehicles like tractors, backhoes, dump trucks. Anything that you might imagine works in a large open dirt field, those need to be electrified too, and they can be pretty challenging. It also means eliminating municipal dependence on fossil fuels. Public buildings have to be outfitted with the same electrical heating, cooling, and water systems as in your home. The goal of electrification is to remove the dependence on fossil fuels at point of use. The fossil fuels that may or may not be burned to get the electricity into your home, put that aside for the time being. We're just trying to source all of our energy from electricity instead of locally consumed fossil products. So why do we do this? When you think about it, it does seem kind of pointless. If we're just going to burn fossil fuels to get electricity anyways, how does powering everything on electricity help? Well, the easiest way to answer that question is by asking, what happens when we decarbonize the energy grid? As we decarbonize the energy grid and implement renewable energy sources, the carbon cost of drawing electricity into homes, businesses, and industrial workplaces decreases. So all of those appliances that you electrified 
will now run on renewable energy instead of fossil fuels. That wouldn't happen if you didn't electrify them. I should note that in a lot of places, at least some of the energy produced comes from renewable energy, even if it's a small amount, and in places like Iceland, as we're discussing this season, it all comes from renewable energy. If those home appliances and vehicles and equipment is all left to be powered by fossil gas or diesel or whatever it may be, and the grid decarbonizes, sorry, but your phone that you plug into the wall charges via solar panels, but the largest energy draws of your home, those are still coming from fossil fuels, and the renewable energy grid doesn't matter all that much if your car, your natural gas heater, and your water heater all still emit greenhouse gases. But it's not that simple either. Because while that is important, it's also a solution that may seem far away in many areas of the world. That's because energy is simply too far from renewable to make it a meaningful action. Wouldn't that money be better spent elsewhere until the grid becomes more renewable? The somewhat surprising but ultimately very important rule to remember considering electrification is that regardless of electricity generation methods, in most cases, electric options are more efficient than options that use point-of-use fossil fuels. That's because even when utilizing power from a fossil gas power plant, you can get significantly more energy out of the power plant per unit of fossil gas than you can with point-of-use fossil gas. Now, of course, there are exceptions and nuances to this. It's not an all-encompassing law. For example, heating elements that use electric resistance coils are generally less efficient than other options, and coal-based electricity generation makes a move away from natural gas towards electricity generated by coal a much more complex one that would require detailed and specific carbon accounting techniques. So if you happen to live somewhere where all of the electricity comes from coal, and you're looking to replace a fossil gas furnace with an electric one, that's maybe not the right choice at the moment in terms of climate. However, switching out a fossil gas cooktop for an electric induction, not electric resistance because it can be inefficient, is definitely a good choice. The realm of home appliance electrification and the impact that it has on climate varies wildly depending on geographical location and electricity source. So make sure you talk to a professional and try some carbon accounting of your own if you're looking to transition. I am by no means a professional, but if you want my opinion anyways, you can always contact the show and me through the links provided in the show notes below. So now we arrive at one of the biggest challenges of electrification, vehicles. It's always one of the biggest questions. Should I go electric for climate, or does it really matter? The answer when discussing vehicles is always, always electric. If you want to make a decision based on climate impact, the right decision is to go electric. I think we may have even discussed the faults of the internal combustion engine on this show, perhaps multiple times, because it still baffles me how we can still use such an inefficient technology. I'm sure I remember talking about this before at some point, so I'll try to make it brief, but we'll see. See, the internal combustion engine, or ICE, uses gas or petrol, depending on where in the world you are, which is a fossil fuel and very energy dense. We know that fossil fuels are energy dense. That's why they're so good at generating electricity, because when they're combusted, they released stored chemical energy in the form of heat, which we can easily harness with a very high degree of efficiency and use to generate electricity. Except, that's not how the ice works. Instead, when gas is combusted in the engine, all of the heat that is produced simply flows out of the system. 
unused, and unwanted. I mean, we even had to invent cooling systems to take care of the excess heat in the engine and make sure it doesn't melt or catch on fire. Instead of using the abundant heat that flows from the combustion reaction, ices use the change in the volume of the gas when it combusts to slam the pistons around and make the vehicle move. There is so much wasted energy. On average, 60% of the energy produced in an ice engine is just dissipated, absorbed by a coolant system that only takes more energy to run and never seen again. On the other hand, electric cars are up to 90% efficient, meaning less energy is wasted and more of the energy is spent on actually moving the vehicle. Which means, for this specific example, the combination of higher efficiency energy production, even in the case of fossil fuel power plants, plus the significant added efficiency of the EV engine, makes electric vehicles the clear winner in terms of climate change. All of this doesn't even mention costs. It seems like although Tesla is the most popular vehicle manufacturer in recent years, their sleek stylings and luxury price point seem to have set a standard for electric vehicles that simply isn't true overall. Electric vehicles don't have to be $100,000 investments, and you don't have to buy a Tesla to buy an electric vehicle. The Nissan Leaf is a compact with a low price point to match, nearly identical to the price of a standard gas-powered vehicle. If you're looking for an SUV with a bit more range, the Hyundai Kona comes in at a price point lower than many economy-class gas vehicles. For fuel, it is significantly cheaper to charge your EV than to pump gas, reducing ongoing costs of owning the vehicle. Of course, even to all-encompassing statements like that, there are often caveats, if small ones. For example, because coal is such an extremely greenhouse gas emission-intensive fuel, utilizing electric vehicles as a climate solution may not be as effective as one might hope it is. However, the majority of the time it still beats out gas-powered cars in the long run if the grid is making any progress at all towards cleaner options. And this comparison is much less cut and dry when discussing mechanisms outside of transportation. As I said, because the efficiency aspect of them varies, though as a long-term solution, it's still a good option to electrify. One of the many baseless arguments made by fossil fuel lobbyists is that the batteries used in EVs, along with the rest of the manufacturing costs, outweighs any benefits from the actual transition to electric power. While this is at least a plausible argument, where many are not, I mean, how many episodes in the last two seasons have we discussed better energy storage than we have now, it still falls short because, believe it or not, it costs energy and carbon emissions to produce gas-powered vehicles too. In order to really determine the reality of which is better, we have to do some pretty complex carbon accounting, which I am not qualified to do in detail, but considering the carbon cost of producing and fueling an EV via the electric grid, plus the recycling and waste disposal at end of life, versus the cost of producing a gas-powered vehicle, plus the carbon cost of fueling with fossil fuels that require procurement and refining, plus the carbon cost at the end of life, it's pretty clear that EVs are the way to go, for sure, all things considered. Now that doesn't mean it's perfect. Though transitioning to electric vehicles is one of the most important steps towards electrification, and by extension, decarbonization, it isn't perfect. 
Battery production and recycling is still expensive and carbon intensive, and producing vehicles remains a very energy and resource intensive process. So what does that mean? It means that in the field of transportation, and also beyond it, including home appliances and municipal facilities, there are optimal times to electrify, and there are less optimal times to electrify, just like anything. Buying a brand new EV after buying a brand new gas-powered vehicle a couple of years earlier? That's probably not the best option. As with anything, including consumer products and home appliances, in general, pretty much anything you can possibly buy, it's better to buy used, and it's also better to buy when you need to buy, not only when you have the money to buy or when you find something you want. So when that oven that you've had for 10 years finally quits, maybe it's time to electrify and go induction. I'm not sure if buying a random used oven is the best option, but you can probably find refurbished products from reliable sources. It's worth checking out. If your home inspector is like, hey, you should probably get rid of this ancient fossil gas furnace, it's probably leaking poison into your home, maybe that's a sign to go electric. These two rules are important, because the carbon cost of end-of-life products and producing brand new products to buy are both carbon-intensive processes and should be avoided if possible. Even though it might seem like we should electrify as fast as we can, fire on all cylinders, go, 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 that might not be the best option until said item being replaced is obsolete and can't be used. So next time you're replacing something in your home, give significant consideration to electrifying. It is one of the most important steps to decarbonizing the systems that we rely on in everyday life. We know we need to do it, and we know that there are certain times that are more optimal for electrification. So, how do we do it, and what are the obstacles? For this section, we are moving beyond household items. In general, all it takes to electrify a home is the right information and the money to do it, which often costs less than replacing fossil fuel equipment with more fossil fuel equipment. There are actually a lot more nuances and potential problems when attempting to convert larger systems to electrification. These are all problems that we have to tackle, and we have to do it quickly, because public infrastructure is constantly requiring updates, and we know that change on a systemic level is often more effective than individual change. So how do we make it happen? Well, if you listened to our first bonus episode, you know the importance of collective action. It remains true in this case that collective action is still the most effective method of making change on the systemic level. When it comes down to it, that's exactly what electrification is. We have to put demand in the right places, prioritizing electricity use and making any attempt possible to rule out fossil fuel use. It means attending those protests in front of City Hall that call for changing public buildings to electric heating and ensuring all buildings in the city are insulated to minimize energy use in heating and cooling. Primarily, electrifying cities and municipalities comes down to how much attention we are willing to pay to those in charge. Municipal systems need updates constantly, and those updates are overseen by energy and water authorities that are often elected. If they are not elected, they are appointed by whoever is in charge after being elected. You see where this is going, don't you? Electrification on the system level means a whole lot of political and societal attentiveness and action. Collective action. One of the challenges with system electrification 
is that unlike local electrification, it can cost a whole lot of money to overhaul fossil fuel-based systems that have been in place for years. For that reason, it is important that we, the people, the constituents, make it clear through demonstrations, political campaigns, social initiatives, and political expression that these actions are important, or else they simply won't get done because they hurt the bottom line. It might seem slow going, and it might seem like a big job to try and electrify entire towns or cities, but get together a group of people who care about climate and start organizing protests outside of city halls, accompanied by the promise of a new elected representative if the current leaders fail, and you'll start to see immediately, actually, your representatives do want to keep you and the hundred people that are with you happy. And the last important aspect to include when we are learning how to affect change at the system-wide electrification level is the elimination and ignorance of lobbying groups. This carries forward to other aspects of climate action as well, renewable energy implementation, support for EVs, and even other social issues. Elected representatives that hold the interests of corporations through lobby groups above that of their constituents have to be voted out. They have to be, because it disrupts the democratic power of the people. But we can take it back by voting out representatives that don't hold the values of the people that they represent. Just like everything else, it takes collective, organized effort. And these dealings that put voter values at the bottom of the priority list can be pretty well obscured, so we have to remain vigilant. That is the key to system electrification and every other climate action that we take. We have to always be paying attention and always demanding accountability from our leaders. Of course, remain peaceful, always. I shouldn't even have to say that, but I do. Remain peaceful. But go to the assemblies, attend town halls, ask questions, and if you don't like what you see from your representatives, be loud about it and get other people on your side. We have to keep pushing for climate action, and electrification is one of the best, easiest ways to do that in your city or town. So be aggressive, and don't stop looking for ways to get involved. Take action, and create the change that you want to see. I think that's a pretty good place to end it for today. I think ending with a bit of a battle cry is a good way to end these episodes, so I hope you learn something and feel a bit more empowered to take meaningful action going forwards. As always, lots of resources are in the show notes below if you want to check them out, along with our email newsletter to keep you up to date on what's going on in the world of innovating a bright future. And if there's something you want to discuss that we talk about in one of these episodes, don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you for being here. I hope you've been enjoying the season thus far, and I can't wait to come back next week and continue this journey. Stay innovative. I'll see you next time.